You're listening to the Path Forward Dayton, a Dayton Daily News podcast where we discuss the most pressing issues facing our region and seek solutions. I'm your host, Community Impact Editor Nick Herkman. Today's episode features an interview with University of Dayton President Eric Spina, a member of the Dayton Daily News Community Advisory Board. The Community Advisory Board meets monthly to help identify issues important to our region and to provide feedback on our coverage of key topics. Thank you so much for being uh, with me today, President Spina. My, my, my pleasure. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the conversation, and I, I believe it was uh, the last time you sat down with Ideas and Voices specifically. I know you've done a lot of uh, work with our reporters, and you've been very open with the media, but I believe the last time you, you sat down with Ideas and Voices was sometime in 2019. Uh, and pre-pandemic. <laughs> and yes. the, exactly, and so that was just coming up, and I believe your third anniversary as president, and a lot has changed just across the board. Um, and so you're, I believe, about to go into your seventh year. Correct. And that's that's really exciting. We're we're very happy to have you here. And yeah, we're going to try to tackle as much time today in the short time that we have. Great. Um, in our in our May community advisory board meeting, you spoke a little bit about your upbringing and your education. Uh, would you mind sharing that again and how those experiences brought you to Dayton? Sure. Well, both my parents were teachers. My dad was a biology teacher that became a middle school principal. And my mom was an artist who became an art teacher and then ultimately, you know, she raised the kids but was a substitute art teacher. So education was always there. Um, went Catholic school through, through, through 12th grade, through high school. Um, a small little elementary school in North, North Buffalo, St. Joseph, the Sisters of St. Joseph's. And then I went to an all-male Jesuit high school in, in, in Buffalo itself called Canisius High School. It really was a transformative experience for me. I have friends to this day uh, who I don't talk to all the time, but when I do talk to them, it's like we're picking up from, from yesterday. Mm. So really Im important in my, my education, my, my formation, along with my, my parents. And then I went to Carnegie Mellon, studied, studied engineering, and then on to Princeton, where I studied mechanical and aerospace engineering. And, uh, and, then, and then I had to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> and and we're, we're fortunate that you did. <laughs> um, I, I just want to jump into kind of a, a discussion about equity, because I know that's been uh, on a lot of people's minds lately, and UD specifically has a number of initiatives. Um, I'm, I'm a big fan personally of the push uh, to establish UD as the University of the Common Good. Uh, I think I, I, that's a fantastic title, and I know I've seen a lot of uh, effort and a number of initiatives, including maybe most recently the the Common Good in a Divided City Conference mm -hmm. and the Imagining Community Shaping a More Equitable Dayton Symposium that occurred earlier in April. Um, I mean, so much so that we published some of those yeah. uh, the speakers Ex in the Dayton Daily News. An ex extraordinary coverage. Exactly, and so in Ideas and Voices, we really you know felt that they had a lot of powerful things that were said in that in those uh, events. Um, and you, yourself, you wrote a very touching, what I thought a very touching guest column honoring Brother Ray Fitz. And you quoted him as saying, we're not going to be able to build communities that are just and peaceful if people aren't willing to serve. Can you explain what that means to you and how it might relate to Marianist teachings? Yeah, so uh, maybe start at the point that the Marianists were new to me when I started interviewing for this job. So sure. I, I actually was not even aware of the Society of Mary. So this has been... You know, a seven-year journey for me, and uh, so many Marianists, certainly Brother Ray and his brother, Father Jim Fitz, and Brother Tom Giordano, have just been so so generous with me and helped me learn and try to understand. And it's continues to evolve. But um, 
you know that nation of a that, that notion of a servant's heart is really the the, the core of being a, a Marianist. These are it's a humble order mm-hmm. that is about is about ser- serving. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, I think about Brother Ray. You know, most of the time when people are done with a a six or an eight or a ten year presidency, much less a twenty three year presidency. Right. They they go and they sit in a corner somewhere and read <laughs> books. But you know, Brother Ray has been out in the community continuing to you know, learn, lead, and serve, which I, you know, is his, uh, his motto that he introduced, which is so perfect. But you know, in this crazy world where things every day seem to be more upside down, um, you know, we need more institutions of all mm-hmm. different kinds and more individuals thinking about serving rather than you know, being the focus of, of everybody. Right? If more of us, our institutions and individuals, thought about others, and this notion of the common good, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, well, the majority of people we we care about. It's like every single person, right. from the wealthiest to the most most di- dispossessed, and 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 really, you know, the notion of the common good and serving others, you know, really is at the the core of who we are as a university and why, you know, we don't just think about educating students to get a job. We think about you know helping students find their passion, their purpose and where they want to make a difference in the world. Mm. And that's what our faculty and staff are committed to and why, why it's such a spe- special place. No, I think, that's, I think that's fantastic. Again, going to that, the, the idea of the common good. And I think, again, a lot of those initiatives really do focus and, and hone in on that. I, I believe I read somewhere that you've served on the steering committee of the American Talent Initiative. Mm-hmm. That's a group of universities dedicated to substanti- substantially expanding opportunity and access for low-income and moderate-income students. And I think that also gets to your point about uh, the common good and the most dispossessed among us. Uh, absolutely. So, and in particular, and, and I don't say this in an exclusive or a snobby way, the American Talent Initiative is a group of of high quality institutions with high graduation rates. And one of the challenges is too many Pell eligible students, too many students with the lower socioeconomic levels are going to schools where they're not graduating. Mm. And and that's a a challenge, right? As we think about this country's uh, biggest challenge, right? I think if we start reducing the inequality gap, right, other things will take care of themselves. So we are committed, let's make certain we get more Pell students to high quality institutions where they're going to get supported, they're going to graduate, they're gonna be supported, you know, leaving the university as well, whether it's in a graduate school or work. So, yeah, that's really important work for UD. Um, You know, it's it's true to our history, it's true to our values, um, and and just work that we need to continue to do. you know, we're a private institution, so people don't necessarily think of us as caring about the lower socioeconomic level, but we, we really do and have to. Sure. And it also makes us a higher quality institution because we're bringing students in who've walked many different paths sure. in life. And when you think about what happens in the classroom and the residence hall and clubs and activities, you know, y- you don't want everyone to be the same. Absolutely, absolutely. The homogeneity can get a little uh, dry. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I think that's that's fantastic. And I was going to ask if you if there if there are any other uh, initiatives that you wanted to talk about that UD's taken to perhaps address uh, the the opportunity gaps or to increase equity in the Dayton region more broadly. Yeah, the the one that, that I'll I'll highlight here is one that is uh, you know it's a it's a it's a it's a broad effort with many people, but it's now starting to come into focus in a way that is really exciting. Um, the first April I was here, so it was April 2017. Uh, Larry Burnley, then our Vice President for Diversity and Inclusion, and I 
uh, went to a meeting at the Urban League that was uh, us and, and leaders from, from West Dayton. And um, it was a conversation that started really at, you know, blank, blank tabula rasa, right, blank sheet of paper. Um, and you know, I, I spoke and I said, look, we know there's been a complex relationship over time between the University of Dayton and the black community. Um, you know, we're new in town. We'd like to talk about kind of where we are today, you know, challenges that we face, and ultimately, you know, see where the conversation goes. So over a couple of years, the conversation got around to, uh, you know, beginning to build, build trust. What can we do together that will be meaningful for the university, meaningful for the, for the West Dayton community? So long story short, uh, the G Greater West Dayton Incubator mm. is the first project to come out of really a quarterly conversation that we've had all, all over town, inc including at the, the president's residence. And it is um, yeah, not, not by any means intended to be the thing, sure. but it's one way that we are contributing to, um, you know, to a, a region that has been d disinvested. Uh, and it's one thing we're doing for our students on campus that can make us, us a better institution. So I could probably talk for an hour about the Greater West Dayton <laughs> Incubator. I won't. We have great leadership in, in, in place, um, a great uh, advisory council uh, led, led by Stacy Stacey Thompson uh, that really has a, a true voice and the connections between the Greater West Dayton Incubator and the hub um, are, are vital and important and you know, after one year, we've really seen some extraordinary things happen. I, I can only imagine what it'll be like after five or six years. Absolutely, it's really exciting. I mean, you mentioned the hub, you mentioned some of the other initiatives and developments that are happening, and we'll get to that in a little bit. I did want to mention, uh, just ask for, I guess, a little update. In, in 2020, UD created an 11-step process to become an anti-racist university. What does that process look like today? Yeah, so it's very active. Uh, so I think one of the things that was really different for us, and I think compared to many universities, is that 11-step anti-racist action plan identified individuals by name <laughs> who are accountable. Sure. And once a year, those people only a report in terms <laughs> of what, what the progress is. So yeah. you know, the 11 steps range from making certain that faculty and staff are on a regular basis e educated about what it's like to be part of a multicultural environment um, to um, supplier diversity. How is the University of Dayton making certain that we are using women and, and uh, businesses owned by individuals of color and veteran-owned businesses and so on, all the way to how do we use our marketing and communications assets mm -hmm. to um, the way we engage our, our alumni. So. Um, you know, 11 different items. Uh, obviously, they're not all at the same, same place, but uh, I can tell you, you know, the report that I will get later this summer um, are, are going to show strong progress really in everything. Again, so, some were, were out ahead. Some you can make change faster than others, but I'm proud of the fact that, you know, people on campus are, are being held accountable and are pleased to be held accountable, mm -hmm. and we're seeing progress across, across all 11. Excellent. So this is something that's going to con continue to live. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you for that update. And I, I guess it's kind of inevitable just jumping into the discussion of the pandemic and how UD fared. I just want to talk a little bit about, uh, yeah, COVID and university life. And obviously there are were, there were much bigger things. This sounds so silly, but obviously there are much bigger, more awful things happening at the time. But even as a non-flyer myself, uh, very much a fair weather fan, <laughs> apologies. 
I, I personally saw, thought it was crushing to see the Flyers not get their shot. And having watched such an incredible season with Obi Toppin, uh, it just sounds silly to lead with sports, but when talking about the pandemic, it just, to me, stands out uh, as a Daytonian who was riding high on this, frankly, unearned pride. Again, fair weather no, fan. It's earned, it's earned. <laughs> but feeling like Dayton, just the whole city, was deprived of a much-needed win after just an incredibly difficult 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, the entire city just, I mean, yeah. whether it was the, the tornadoes, the Klan rally, the, the shooting, like, just an incredibly difficult mm -hmm. time for our entire region. It just felt like we lost something big there. Walk me through how you were feeling at the time. Yeah, especially coming, you know, that Saturday was, was game day. Yeah. And then the women won the, the Atlantic 10 championship on our home court. And then the men had that extraordinary victory against George Washington with the three infamous OB top end dunks. <laughs> and, you know, we were, we were going for it all. And we had the horses, we have the coaching staff, we have the fans who are going to show up ev everywhere. <laughs> um, so d deflating. I mean, obviously the first thing I fell for, and I think we all did, was, was the players, right? Yeah. They worked so hard. They felt this so, so deeply. And, and then you think of flat Flyer Nation, right? right. So, um, you know, it was, it was painful. I'll just say that uh, as I go across the country and meet with alums, I walked into more than one living room that has a big sign that says, <laughs> University of Dayton, 2020 NCAA basketball champions. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I simply say, you are right. We were going to win. <laughs> <laughs> Again, just, just heartbreaking. But obviously, there, there, were just, there was a lot going on around the pandemic. And that, that stood out to me as kind of being that, that first hit. Yeah. That, that we didn't even know how deep things were going to go. And I did want to talk about how UD uh, managed and is managing the pandemic, the subsequent uh, mental health issues mm -hmm. for both students and faculty. Uh, if you wanted to go in a little yeah. bit about what Yeah, happened. so I mean, how we managed it, I'll use one word, partnership. Sure. Uh, we could not have done this alone. <laughs> you know, so we knew nothing. You know, I, I went to look in the presidential handbook for a pandemic. There was, <laughs> there was, nothing, there was nothing there. So, you know, we made this up as we went along. You know, we, we have a long-standing, really, really good relationship with Montgomery County and Dayton Pub Public Health. Mm. Um, you know, the number of conversations we had with them through the pandemic, you know, multiple per week, sometimes in person, ultimately on Zoom, uh, but on, on the phone call, you know, on, on the phone calls, on the phone sometimes, you know, fr Friday night, Saturday night with, with, the, with the commissioner. Um, so that's one, one, one level of partnership. Premier Health was an incredible partner for us um, in so many different ways. You know, early on, I, I, I got the sense that you know, we just couldn't rely upon the federal government. They're going to deal with other issues, so we need to make certain we had the guidance around us. So we had six great uh, premium employees as part of a, a med medical panel who, again, these folks were on our campus exploring kind of where students were going to live and eat and so on. And, and just you know, really committed to the university and to our, to our kids. And then partnership with uh, the city and, and also with the, s the state government. Everyone was really, really good to us. But then on campus, faculty members, staff members doing jobs that they had no training for, sure. uh, but said, what can I do? And, and they just stepped up and did it, whether it was manning the, the stock room or um, you know, trying to provide opportunities for students to get outdoors and, and get involved in recreation. And then ultimately the students, right? So we had a, a big a big surge when everyone first came back to campus in, in August 20, 2020. Students knew that uh, they were facing going home. And unlike many institutions, they, they turned it around. We really learned quickly 
you, know, you really couldn't be in groups too close together, and you, you know, you really needed to uh, abide by the the expectations that were being set. And then ultimately, our, our students have been tremendous. So, you know, proud of the fact that um, you know, after that that first uh, spring, you know, the March of, of 20, sending kids home. Uh, we had in-person education. Obviously, this past year was better than the year before when we were locked down a little bit more more tightly. But uh, but really, really tr tremendous response from everyone in, in Flyer Flyer Nation. Um, and and then you know, just in terms of mental health, I mean, there's no doubt. You know, even before the pandemic, right? The challenges sure. that college-age kids are are facing are um, you know, more, more severe than they they've been in the past. So. And we have some really good staff in this area. We have students who are really want to su support each other, which is you know that student to student piece is re really important. And uh, you know we're, we're continuing to lean in and just making certain we support our students as best we can. I and mean, that's the concern of all faculty and staff. You know, we can't just say, okay, counseling center, you got it. I mean, right. really, it's it's up to up to all of us. And I think that's the way we face it. But then to your point, you know, faculty and staff. Faculty and staff had, had deaths in their families, had challenges in terms of sick relatives and relatives at risk and so on. Um, plus, you know, having to learn a whole new way of, 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 of working. So, you know, lots of stress there um, and, you know, supporting them as best we can. And as we move forward, you know, continue to make the decisions that are best, you know, for our people. Uh, but then ultimately for the long-term benefit of the institution. We understand we're, we're stewards and we need to make certain that uh, things we do are going to make certain that we're here and strong for a long time. Certainly, and I, I like that word stewards too. And it gets to the point about, you know, you talk about those decisions that were made and everyone at the time operating with imperfect knowledge. I mean, there's just so many things we, about we the We sent pandemic. kids home for two weeks. We <laughs> said, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. It didn't, didn't age well. <laughs> exactly, I mean, but again, like hindsight's twenty twenty, and yeah. there, there were just so much craziness going on at the time. I was, I was gonna ask if you don't mind, what were some of the most difficult decisions you had to make during that time? Yeah, so probably the hardest one was, um, you know, around well, a little bit later than this in, in 2020, Ju June of 2020, do we bring students back or not? Do we go, do we go virtual? And that's one, you know, you look for guidance there and, you know, every day one university was announcing completely virtual, another university, we're bringing them back. So, you know, at the end of the day, we leaned into our, our, our people, right? Mm -hmm. So we had, you know, a, up to 200 people working on a variety of task forces thinking about how we would do this. Montgomery County Public Health, the state provided some expertise and obviously our medical panel. And then just thinking about our, our mission, right? I mean, we are, um, you know, the Marianists really believe in building community and need to be together to do that. And we felt that uh, with appropriate precautions that we, we could come together and stay, stay together. But that decision, that was the hardest single decision. Weeks and weeks and weeks of conversation, um, tentative decisions, you know, changing our mind a little bit about how we approach one thing or another. But um, you know, we, we felt, and I say we, because it wasn't just me, we felt the weight of that decision. Absolutely. Uh, I'm moving on a little bit, but it, it's also related to, I guess, COVID and the pandemic and what it's done for enrollment. Uh, according to Inside Higher Ed, nationwide undergraduate enrollment year over year fell by 3.6% in fall of 2020 and another 3.1% in the fall of 2021. I mean, that, that was a pretty significant drop that represented, I believe, just over a million students. That's, that's pretty big when you're looking nationwide. 
And Especially, I mean, like a lot of the students who didn't enter college were the students from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Right, right, exactly. To, again, to the equity point and, mm -hmm. and to the, the ability to have opportunity. Um, and, and as far as the last figures I saw from UD last fall, the university predicted a record high enrollment of about 12,000 12, students, which is up 3% from the previous fall. What does that say to the health of the institution? And what do you, I guess, being plugged into so much about the industry and, and about higher ed at large, what do you think about the, the, the larger health of higher ed? Yeah, also just focused on UD for a moment. I mean, there's the, the value of our education is widely, widely known. There is no shortage of students who want to come and study at UD, no, no shortage. The challenge is at, at what price, sure. right? So sure. that, that's the challenge for us today, tomorrow, and five years from now. It was a challenge certainly during the pandemic. So recall March 2020, kids are going home. May of 2020, kids are making a decision where they're going to college sure. the next year. So you know, we needed to double down on financial aid. The market had tanked. People were losing jobs. We want to make certain that you know we could bring in the high quality, very diverse class that, that we had grown, grown accustomed to, and and we did. But you know, at, at a higher cost for financial aid, our current students, their parents were losing jobs as well. So, you know, so it was expensive from mm -hmm. the perspective of you know let's make certain that we're supporting our students, and that meant financial aid first and foremost. But then we also lost you know international students for a couple mm -hmm. years because they weren't coming. So it was. Know, it's ex expensive. You know, we, we will get get through that, but really, it goes to this you know longer term question about about the the industry. And there's no doubt, you know, higher ed is more competitive than ever, and and the Midwest is you know among the most competitive regions. You think about how many quality institutions are in Ohio and in the Midwest, and then you think about where the demographics are hurting the most, right? You know, Ohio, Michigan, mm -hmm. Indiana, Illinois, Kentucky, West Virginia. Know, all of our students don't come from there, but an, but an awful lot do. So, you know, for for us, you know, we need to think about value, and we need to think about about net net cost to a to a to a student. But uh, you know, across the higher ed sector, we all need to think more about you know, really value that we're providing and and cost to the you know net net cost to students of for affordability. Um, you know, higher ed for too long, you know, we were, we were raising tuition, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, 8, 10, sometimes 12 percent. And, and my question to people is, you know why? Because we could. Right. Um, well, we can't anymore, right? We need to be responsive to, to families, need to think, you know, how do we make certain that everyone, everyone can go to a good, good college? So lots of challenges for us to face, but I think higher ed understands those challenges mm -hmm. now. Um, and different people are going to be digging in different ways. I mean, U UD itself, you know, we, we need to be thoughtful about you know, what are the, the hard decisions we need to make now to make certain that five years from now, ten years from now, we're just as strong as, as we are now, if not, if not stronger. And, and, you know, sometimes that's going to mean hard decisions. It might mean, you know, closing a master's program or, you know, this thing over here that we've done for 30 years that we really love. Well, it's not that central to our mission anymore or demand isn't that great or quality is not good. So for all colleges and universities, even those with huge endowments, th there are hard decisions that are going to sure. be coming over the next five to ten years. Sure. And I, I wanted to get to the, the point also when you bring up value and what that means for a student. I wanted to, I guess, talk a little bit about retaining talent in Dayton 
and and I, obviously it's a citywide, it's a regional issue. And and talk a little bit about what UD is doing, both both to retain graduating students and to keep staff, because obviously there's a huge turnover in faculty. Mm -hmm. I realize they're kind of two separate questions, but wanting to I guess touch on both because yeah. I feel like both are kind of critically important. And well, the pandemic has affected. Well, both. you know, I'm, I'm going to go go back a little bit and just you know simply point out UD is an anchor institution. Sure. Right? So. As I say, the name of the city is in our name, so right. we, we aren't going to Atlanta, right? And I know that's sensitive <laughs> in date, but we aren't, we aren't going to Atlanta. Um, so to attract students, you, know, you think about the whole family and the student, to attract faculty and staff, um, we need to make certain Dayton is a place people want to come and live. Now again, we're not going to do that alone, but we need to pay attention to the quality of life here and where we can both provide our students with opportunities and contribute to the community, we should, we should do that. You know, Brother Ray did it, Dr. Dan did it, uh, I'm certainly with my team trying to, trying to do that as, as well. So, you know, for faculty and staff, it's, you know, what is the culture on campus, what, what is the quality of life we're, we're, we're providing them in terms of their work-life balance, in terms of expectations we're setting, in terms of even things like for staff r remote work policies, mm -hmm. which we now have, never, never had one before. Um, so, you know, I think faculty and staff, you know, we always have work to do, but we are, we are focused on doing that. We have a great head of human resources. Um, and, then, and then as far as students, you know, so Ohio attracts an awful lot of students from around, around the country. We, we attract our share. Uh, an awful lot of them leave, right? So, you know, there's a um, state assemblyman right now, John, John Cross, who has a, a, a bill that he's advancing to, to kind of add some opportunities for uh, people from out of state who stay here to, you know, have a break on their taxes for a few years. And, for companies who give internships to students that they that might be tax deductible. So you know, I'm glad the policymakers are thinking that, you know, mm -hmm. this is a challenge, right? It's a state versus state challenge. And and what we need to do is make certain that we are um, exposing our students to the joys of Dayton and the surrounding community. Um, so that's why, you know, things like the hub and the Greater West Dayton Incubator and all the programs that the Fit Center have are so important. Students who get engaged in the city of Dayton want to stay in Dayton. It becomes a real possibility and something they want. Now the other thing we need is the, the, the jobs. Right? Sure. And you know, that's some, some place where you know, for many of our disciplines we've been coming up a little bit short over the last n number, number of, of, of years. But you know, starting to see a, a difference. You know, our students want to stay here and, and there are you know, increasing number of jobs in the city and in, in the region where more of our students can, can stay. So you know, much like for Wright State and Sinclair and for others, you know, we need to work together with the business community, make certain our students get exposed to the, you know, the joys and the wonders and the opportunities of living in Dayton. Um, but then that they, they, they are getting internships here sure. and they do get employment here. And, and that's, that's critical and, and that's, you know, uh, and I, I think the nadir for um, for the city of Dayton and the region was was some time ago now, and, and we really need to make sure that you know employment opportunities continue to increase, and uh, you know ho ho hopefully we can be a, a part of that.
Yeah, so you bring up the hub and you bring up a lot of fantastic, I think, initiatives that are happening, really exciting new developments around around the city, the, the, the flyer uh, on Main, the hub at the, um, at the arcade. Do you want to brag a little bit about some of these really <laughs> fascinating projects that are coming? Yeah, I mean, so I, I love the hub, I love the arcade, right? So I, I went in there March, or, yeah, I guess early March uh, of 2017. Um, and I, I came in the entrance where the fish store used to be mm. and the, the menu board was still there with the <laughs> prices and everything, I swear. And then I walked into the rotunda and you know, I knew at the time we wanted to find a spot for you know, our, our business school, you know, their entrepreneurship program and our innovation center in engineering and our program Institute for Applied Creativity and Transformation and Art and Design. You know, we were looking for some place for them to be together. Some people were thinking on campus. I knew we didn't want to be on campus. Um, and I said, th th this is it. I mean, it's just, you know, I'm not an architect, but I've talked to enough architects in my life that, you know, kind of place matters. And this is, th that was a place. Sure. Like, I, you know, I, I could see it. You know, my vision wasn't as good as, as it is now, but, you know, just from the, from, 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 you know, you had me at hello is the line from, from Jerry Maguire. The arcade had me at hello. Um, and really, everything else is, again, I go back to this term, term partnership, right? Mm -hmm. You think about the Entrepreneur Center and, and you know, Vince Lewis and his leadership of the Karate Center at UD. You think about our CFO, Andy Horner, our provost, Paul Benson. You know, think about you know the the development team. You think about Shelley Dickstein and, and Mayor Whaley. Just an awful lot of people leaning into this this project, and it is um, you know just vibrant and exciting. And three hundred and some students down there each each semester. Um, you know, the private office space for companies sold out with a with a waiting list, and importantly, those companies now finding our students who are down sure. down there and. You know, getting them to do a marketing plan or a business plan or think about how technology gets integrated. And that's, that's where the magic happens. Um, but the thing I'm actually going to brag about is <laughs> I love, 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 love having our name on Main Street downtown. Sure. And I love the fact that you go through the hub. You're only going to see University of Dayton one more time. You're going to see it on the Karate Center office. Other than that, you don't know you're in quote unquote UD space. And that's that's purposeful, right? Because right. that space needs to be welcoming to students from Wright State, faculty and students from Sinclair, you know, lawyers, doctors, you know, anyone with an idea who wants to come and be part of that ecosystem. That that's the way the ecosystem is built and to ultimately be successful. So so part of my bragging is, you know, it's not just UD. Right. You know? So so I think that's exciting and important. And it goes back to the theme of the common good. And I mean, it really, to that point, it, it really should have that. Well, I've been in there a number of times. It's a, it's a fantastic space. It's a beautiful, welcoming space. And, and it really is, I think, catalytic for just so mm -hmm. much of what, what can happen in the future. And to, to make sure, I think that message comes across. I, I like how it was put and, you know, making sure that other institutions feel welcome mm -hmm. and that UD, you know, yes, you, you had a, a, a huge footprint in getting getting it off the ground and getting it ready. But, you know, here it is. And, you yeah. know, kind yeah. of as a gesture to the city, yeah. it, I think that's a really one, one thing that I think is not widely known. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but um, <laughs> when the developer came to us, he asked us to take 15,000 square feet. So we, we did some internal conversation and back said, we'll take 100,000 square feet. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I just and, you know, we shelled out the, the third third floor of the hub 
um, but we're actually now on, on the verge of getting started there with construction because there is demand for additional office space and, and certainly there's, there's room for more and we have fa faculty who want to teach more classes down there. So, and you know, a lot of times when a university goes downtown, I, I, mean, I knew this at, at, at Syracuse, you know, you have to bribe, cajole, <laughs> you know, beat faculty to bring their classes down there. We have faculty who are really excited to be there for what it can provide. And I think you know, the more that gets added to that space, you know, restaurants and little brew pubs and so on, the, the, the more it really will be a, a, a destination. Definitely. And I, yeah, it is important to remember that it's, you know, still in the early stages, if you want to describe it right. that way. I mean, there's right. still a lot to come and there's still a lot to fill out. Um, and to, to just <laughs> the accomplishment as a lifelong Daytonian, uh, there was just so much, you know, naysaying about the arcade <laughs> and that entire project. It was it was not going to happen. It was impossible. My wife didn't think it was going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> she turned to me at one point when it was finally going to happen. She said, you know, it's really going to happen. I said, did you ever doubt it? <laughs> Apparently she did. <laughs> a lot of people did. And so it's just, it's very exciting still to see it and to see it happening and to continue to happen. Um, I did want to talk too about the on main uh, and, the, and the fairgrounds redevelopment uh, and the way you described it as the, the front porch for the Dayton community. And again, like another idea of like a, a welcoming space. And as an aside, as a former Metro Parks employee, Riverscape was often described as the front porch. So mm -hmm. there might be some. Well, you can have multiple porches. <laughs> you can have multiple porches on a, on a, on a home like Dayton. So I was going to yeah, ask you to talk a little bit about On Main and the plans sure, there. Sure. Well, so you know, when, when UD and Premier uh, together, it's a 50-50 partnership, bought, bought um, former fairgrounds, now On Main, you know, we were looking at this as a 200-year investment. Yeah. Um, you know, this is not. You know, this is not Atlanta or downtown New York or D.C. or whatever, where you know people are just looking for any square square inch of a property. But the value is going to be derived over 200 years. You know, we expected development would take some time. We talked about you know 10, 15, 20, 20 years. But we, you know, we're intent on not just taking the easy way, right? Sure. Not just you know, throwing up buildings and having, you know, whoever can afford it come there. Right. Really it needs to be intentional. I think the planning process we went through that was very embedded in the community for On Main was, you know, I think speaks to that, that in intentionality. You know, we talk about live on Main, work on Main, pl play on Main. And I think all those things are, are, are important. All that said, there's no doubt that the pandemic slow, slowed us down, right? Sure. So certainly U UD, we, you know, we stopped whatever capital spending we could for almost you know, a year and a half or so. You know, Premier obviously was otherwise preoccupied in the, in the pandemic. But you know, planning has, has continued and you know, we now know the infrastructure that needs to be done and all, all, that, all that work is kind of ready to go when we give the word. What we're focused on right now is making certain we have all the sources of, of funds and that ultimately we have people who, you know, who want to be in that space beginning with institutional employers. So that's right now a hard push to make certain that we can identify someone who's going to you know, be there as an anchor in that space that believes in equity because you know, that is really critical for that parcel, mm -hmm. right? that bridge that goes over Stewart, that bridge needs to be heavily traveled. Right? This yeah. just becomes kind of North Oakwood, then then it fails, right? It's sure. a connection to downtown. Needs to connect to West Dayton. Needs to connect to the to the university and obviously the pre premier. So you know, I, I know some people when they drive by are like, well, we knew nothing would happen there. It's going to take some time, right? I mean, it's just 
you think about office space, right? In the pa this pandemic, you know, who wants more office space, right? right? So it's it's challenging, but you know, I'm going to say, especially over the last uh, six months or so, we have some some good leads we're pursuing. Uh, we now have Brian Heitkamp, uh, CEO there, working with with Buddy Lachance. We have a great great one one two punch. Premier is a great partner. So, you know, no, not ready for any announcements, but I would anyone who's listening to this should know that we haven't forgotten about it. People are working hard, and I'm I'm confident. You know, it's just hard to put a timeline on it. Of course, um, understandably so. Again, with. Yeah. <laughs> that small inconvenience yeah. of a pandemic yeah. and everything else going on. So uh, I, I do love kind of that idea of thinking 200 years out and making that kind of a bold statement and then putting the, the planning and the resources behind, you know, yeah, maybe people need to be a little more patient and mm -hmm. thinking through this because a lot of development patterns you can see maybe go to the, the first bidder or something like that. Right. And it can, right. it can cheapen not just that site, but everything around it. And mm -hmm. so UD as, again, maybe a, as a steward of a lot of that space and thinking has the ability to think um, forward and, right. and to think, you know, 200 years, you know, I'm not going to ask you what you think Dayton yeah. will look like in 200 <laughs> years, but I'm curious what you think Dayton or that region or just everything around us, like what are you excited to see in five years happen? Yeah, I mean, just that, that whole space. So you think about I mean, one thing that has started construction is our new art center. Right. So let me just brag about that for a minute. Absolutely. I, I love this art center. Th thank you, Roger Glass, and, and everyone who's eaten at uh, Marion's Piazza <laughs> over the over the years. That's your art center too. Uh, as that building you know, comes comes to form, people will see there's two very clear front doors, and they're equal front doors. Mm. One faces the university. One one faces the the, the city. Mm. And the notion is, you know, we're gonna have lots of student performances there. And we're going to make certain the community is welcome and find ways to be welcoming. So that's their door. Sure. And then we're going to find time to have uh, you know, community performances there, whether it's DCDC or, or other groups, and going to make certain that the students find, quote unquote, their, their, their door. So mm -hmm. it's really going to be you know, celebratory space. And again, as a, a front door to the university, I love where it's located, kind of kitty corner from on Main, and then I love just thinking about Stewart Street, right? So clearly, we're about technology, mm -hmm. GE and Emerson. Well, we're also about the arts and humanities. So I, I think there's some important messages there. But really, that that whole space, you know, the the key behind, you know, that um, 1401 North Main, where where DDC, where Dayton Development Coalition and the Fit Center and the Dayton Foundation are, those are all community-facing organizations. You know, they're using that, that big, great space in, in, in important ways and bringing community members and students in there. And then the Art Center and then on Main. You really need that whole area to be accessible, mm -hmm. right? Again, West Dayton, downtown, Oakwood, University, Premier. You need it to be walkable, yeah. right? I mean, cities today, if they're, su they're successful, we're going to talk about success over 200 years, people need to be walking around, bumping into each other because that's again, where the, where the magic happens. So, you know, really a porous space um, that has inviting architecture and inviting entities, whether it's, you know, a, a company or housing or recreation or the little bit of retail that will be there. It needs to feel like I'm welcome there. Sure. Which is, you know, I think one of the cornerstones of Dayton as a city. I mean, it's a welcoming city. Yeah, and we've touched on that in the past in Ideas and Voices and Community Conversations and Welcome Dayton and, mm -hmm. you know, the concept of, of being a welcoming place, not just for immigrants, but right. for 
for anyone who wants to be, you know, a new Daytonian. And Even and migrants think, from Syracuse, New York. <laughs> 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 and so, uh, yeah, talking five years ahead, and maybe this is ridiculous, but understanding, I think, a little bit about some of the, the entrenched issues in Dayton and that we've, the obstacles we've overcome, and as you said, the nadir might have mm -hmm. happened in the past, um, but hopefully the trajectory continues upward. And, and uh, if you don't mind just indulging <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, a question, you know, 25 years from now, what does Dayton look like? What obstacles do you think will have the capacity to overcome and what do you think we'll still be facing? Yeah, it's a great, great, great question. I mean, I'm going to tell you the obstacle that we must face and overcome. I mean, you know, the Dayton public school system mm -hmm. is, is really, really critical, right? So I know we had that conversation the other day with, with the superintendent. Um, you know, learn to earn, work by Tom Lasley and ma many others is, is really, really important. Um, you know, D DPS need, needs to be successful. I mean, Lib Libby's done a, done a great job. We need to continue to support the leadership that, that she and the, and the school board show. Um, so, you know, just making certain that that continues to make progress. It has, but we, we won't achieve the vision we want to in 25 years and if, if we don't uh, continue to support D D DPS. Um, and, you know, I, I, think, I think beyond that, one of the things we really need to face as a region that, you know, s some places in the country have, many have not, um, you know, really the surrounding communities, so sure. the, the sub, you know, suburban, the bedroom communities need to understand that without the city, ultimately the whole place will wither and die. So, so how are we doing on the, the connectivity between urban and suburban? How do we make certain that people throughout the county understand that the city of Dayton is important, right? The, the livelihood of, of people and, and so on is critical. So I, you know, I think that's, that's a critical issue as well. And, and then for me, you know, going, going back to, to equity, right? This is, you know, it's at least two different Daytons, right? You know, what, what, what our black population and other, other marginalized populations face here in terms of health outcomes and educational outcomes and, and uh, you know, living wage and so on and what you know, other parts of the community feel is, is very different. You know, it, you know, infant mortality, and, you know, if that doesn't, doesn't shrink, we're, 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 in, we're in trouble. We're, sure. we're, we're too divided as a city. Um, what I love about Dayton, one of the things that brought me here and keeps me here and keeps me excited, there's a degree of collaboration here that, that doesn't exist in other cities, especially of this type, kind of rust belt, industrial city, disinvested cities. And people here are committed to the region and committed to each other. I think we just need to continue to you know, ask our leaders, you know, set the bar high for our leaders and set the bar high for, set the bar high for all of us uh, that, that we are working collaboratively for the common good of Dayton, right? That, you know, that the, you know, the folks in different stratas of, you know, from socioeconomic level are thinking about everyone across the spectrum and not just, not just their, their people. Sure, and there's that term again, the yeah. common good. Yeah. Uh, President Spina, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, look forward to hearing more from you in the future. Yeah, it was fun, Nick. Thank, thanks so much for the opportunity. You can read President Spina's recent column and more on DaytonDailyNews.com slash ideas voices. Join me next time as we talk to community leaders about topics important to the Dayton region.